I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers over on Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he writes lore, he writes warriors, he does a lot of things. He's Matt Rossi. Hey Rossi, how's it going? I knew you were going to introduce me first this week because I was eating. Mm. And I knew, usually you go with Joe. I knew, nope, I've got food in my mouth, it's going to be me. But I'm gonna just play chicken with this. I'm just gonna just eat at my normal speed. I'm not gonna hurry. <laughs> and I get there before she picks me out, and I did just barely. Okay. I was literally putting the putting the glass down as you said my name, and I was like, See? "Yeah, I get it." I figured I'd just switch it up this week a little bit because I do introduce Joe first pretty often. Speaking of which, hello, our other lore aficionado. That would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe, how's hello. it going? Oh, that's going okay. I've uh, I've been leveling a warrior lately with the help of uh, the tutelage of Mr. Rossi here. Hey, so, there you go. He means by the tutelage is every so often he'll be like, what do I do? And I'll be like, <laughs> oh, watch you do this or that. And that's usually it's like 2 o'clock in the morning and he asks and I'm like, oh, hold on. I'm going to turn back on the part of my brain that used to do this all the time. <laughs> Click. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, last week we covered Diablo 4 because Rossi was back and we talked a lot of Diablo 4 and people actually, we got a really good response to that podcast, by the way, you guys. So um, note to self, Diablo, good thing to talk about, but that's not what we're talking about this week. This week, we're going to talk about the other really big announcement to come out of BlizzCon and that's the next World of Warcraft expansion, Shadowlands. Um, More specifically, I want to talk about the Shadowlands themselves because we've theorized bits and pieces here and there about what the Shadowlands were. We've seen a few tiny examples. Well, we thought that they were good examples, but it turns out they were tiny examples of just what the Shadowlands are. Um, And it turns out that the Shadowlands is a lot more massive than you would think. There's a lot of different realms within the Shadowlands themselves, which is like Shadowlands is kind of its own realm and then there's little realms within the realms and your soul gets shuttled to one of them but we're not even seeing all of them at least that's the impression that I got from the reveal so yeah the, the, they, they definitely gave us the impression that there are a ton of different layers or a ton of different like um, planes of existence inside of the Shadowlands it's sort of like you die and your soul could go anywhere and there's a dude there well not a dude there's a there's a being an entity there that looks at your soul and tells it where to go and usually it goes to one of these many different realities depending on what you've done with your life and I guess probably what your belief system is maybe a little bit that kind of thing and then if you're bad if you're very very bad you go to the maw which I mean going to the mall is a punishment for me so like I I get it but anyway 
Uh, terrible puns aside, there's a creature there in the Maw called the Jailer. And when you are in the Maw, you're there because your soul is be- beyond redemption. There's, there's just, there's nothing that's going to redeem you from what you have done and you show no remorse or anything. So the, the really, really bad people are the ones that usually go to the Maw, only something's wrong and everyone is going there now. Um, and when we go in, we're able to traverse through the Maw into these other planes of existence and we're, we're called, I believe, Maw Walkers which again I have so many terrible puns going at the off the top of my head but suffice it to say let's go ahead and strap on our comfiest sneakers put on some sweatpants and let's talk about the Shadowlands um as mall walkers um what do you guys think about this whole system and even just the idea of the expansion itself because this is we we had a couple of different running theories of places we could go this was one of those running theories that we had um, how do you guys feel about it? And and more importantly, how does this change your perception of the Shadowlands? I guess, uh, Joe, go ahead and go. So I'm excited. Uh, it's one of the places that I've always wanted to explore more of ever since I sat there in uh the classic 2004. I've just died because I pulled something way higher than I should have. Where is this place that isn't quite life or death that I am? Uh, wanted to know more about it. So I'm excited for it. The thing that I find really, really interesting about it too is the way that they make it seem with like the different planes of existence is that it sounds very much like a soul engine and like the whole concept of souls going to these planes for either redemption or processing. And I find that incredibly intriguing because we've seen soul engines in the past and not just Antorus. We've seen like smaller versions of soul engines uh, multiple times but this seems like a gigantic version of it where things go i mean heck if you want come to back. if you want to we could go back to the ethereals on yeah on outland because they were pulling in souls with those little light rod things for who knows what but it well was... we have i was gonna say we, we've we had ashigan we've had uh Akindun, we've had yeah same thing uh same same thing with there. We've also had literally crafted soul engines from the Legion. Like I think we've we've encountered five or six of them. I was actually uh chatting with one of our lovely listeners about this over the past week. So thanks for that conversation. Uh but I find that incredibly interesting. Now the other thing that I thought was really interesting is this is the place where wild gods and possibly Loa go while they recover before they come back to the essentially the material plane. Like we always knew that yeah, like, there's they another... were eternal. One of the different planes is specifically dedicated to that, pretty much. Which is interesting to me because we were always, I don't want to say we were always made to believe, but it always seemed heavily implied that it was the Emerald Dream that they went to and not necessarily here. So I find that absolutely fascinating. There's there's a ton of really cool things that could potentially branch out from this that, I mean, we're going to have a, a ton of wild theories after we get there, but it's going to explain so much as soon as we get Rossi, what about your thoughts on all of this? I don't have any. Oh, come on. I talked for an entire episode last week. I feel kind of <laughs> awkward. <laughs> I don't Seriously, care. Uh, we love hearing you talk. Give us your crazy Shadowland I was, stuff. I was thinking about this in terms of the Reliquary of Souls. Uh, if you guys remember the essence yes. of suffering, the essence of yep. desire, and the essence of anger from the basement of the Black Temple. And uh, Arthas had his own, and I forget what his was called. Um but it was in that place this. with a really cool jazz number. Yeah, um, but he had one as well, and basically he was pulling souls through it and using them for something, and we never find out what. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's probably more likely that rather than this being some kind of cosmic soul engine, soul engines are what you build when you study this place. And one of the things that you find out is that there's something called soul drought happening in our, in the Arden Wheel, and we're not... in basically what happens is when things die and they go to the Arden Weald, their anima, and we guys, we remember anima before, um, their anima is channeled into new growth. It's a cycle that allows, you know, birth, death, redemption. Uh, it's like the whole birth, death, rebirth cycle comes from the way the Arden Weald works. The Arden Weald is based around it. Things die, they go there, their, and their essence is essentially recycled into new life. 
And I think that's, you have beings like scenarios who get to come and go from there. But a lot of beings, when they go there, they don't return, but their essence, their life force is rechanneled into the world and it returns, even though they're the, the being itself doesn't, but that cycle is now messed up and we don't know, you know, that they're having the quote unquote soul drought. And I started thinking about that in terms of what I'm hoping or thinking about what we're going to see next time. Because we we know that there's something about Elune that makes her like a Naru. We don't know what, but Elune's a tier of Elune is sufficient to reactivate a prime Naru, even though it's usually ha- would have to be like a, a like an offspring or a descendant. The you know the tier of Elune can do it. Elune herself somehow has that effect. She seems to have dark and light cycles like a Naru. In that, you know, normally she's this being of moonlight, and, and now she's right now she's this eclipse being. If you look at Taronda, <clears throat> and Taronda said that whole thing about, I will not rest until I know why she abandoned us. You know, when when you have, if you've seen the 8.3 sound files, uh, Taronda says straight up, like one of her clips is, I, I will not rest until I know why she, you know, why she did not answer us, why she abandoned us. And I'm starting to think about it in terms of the Ardenweald, where they're going through this quote unquote soul drought. And one of the reasons she quote unquote abandoned them was because she wasn't getting what she needed. She didn't abandon them. She couldn't help them because the cycle is broken. So you're basically saying that Elune isn't talking to the night elves and can't talk to the night elves because there's no anima. I'm not sure if it's that she's not talking to them. I think to a degree she is talking to them because what she's done is a, is a conversation. But she just can't but directly intervene or anything because of that soul drought that's going on. Maybe. I don't know. That's the, the thing. We're talking about a lot of unknowns, but we do know that whatever's going on has affected the Arden Wheel to the point where it's in bad shape. That's that's something that we, we learned from the, it would, from the presentation. So something is broken in the, not just the cycle of life and death. Breaking that cycle breaks the cycle of rebirth. Yep. And it's, this goes back to something that goes, we also saw on the Horde side. People think I don't pay attention to the Horde story, by the way, about to prove you wrong. Uh, Buon Samdi says he's not allowing Razan to come back. Yeah, he's a gatekeeper. But then he later on says the boss ain't going to like this when talking about how he didn't understand, he didn't know where Vol'jin was and things weren't going the way he expected. What if the reason that the Loa aren't coming back is because they can't? It's this whole... Well, there's not enough power to get them all back. Some of them have been reborn. Yeah, I was going to say, some of them are in the process of being reborn right now. But uh, somebody as big as Razan? Yeah, but the the thing that always struck me weird about that is is, uh, the Tortolan spirit is already coming back. We've brought back uh, the tiger spirit. But we haven't brought back the back spirit. Yeah, but Hyreek is is also one of the ones that Guamsamdi... It's a weird situation because Mom Sandy could See, be just making up that he's not letting them back. He could be, or he could be like you called him the gatekeeper. Yeah, he could be making you know he could be basically deciding what what can I let through, what will be useful to me. I think that's what because it is. if if he tries to let them all through, it's not going to work. It's like uh, more, he's kind of like an arbiter or, to the living. Or and the other thing is is that we don't. Here's the thing about Bon Samdi. Bon Samdi pretends to be all knowing but he in all powerful but he isn't mm-hmm. he needs to make deals with mortals to get what he wants yeah he's really sly at giving the impression that he's super super powerful but if you call him on it if you but call you him on him. it yeah you can yeah. well i mean you see that with uh talanji she does defy him but i my point is more that I don't know how to, how to express this quite right. He made a very clumsy play for Sylvanas that doesn't seem like he meant for it to work. But what if he did mean it to work? And then he just went with his fallback. Because without Talanji, he actually has nothing. Mm-hmm. Because So he was dead serious, no pun intended, when he asked Talan- when he told Talanji, bring me the war to you said. Sure. Oh, yeah. if, if she killed, if she had uh, Sylvanas killed, great for him. Well, but, and it would make sense too because it was it was a a powerful person that could get close enough to actually do that. Well, and, she was Sylvanas was on Talanji's home ground. Exactly, Talanji didn't have to do anything. She could have just ordered her people kill her, and well, it would have happened. Seeing the power that Sylvanas is flexing, I don't think that would have gone very well. Oh, 
here's the thing. She was she flexed that power, but she would have been flexing it on their ground with all their loa around. She was keep in mind she was right there. That's not it's not the same thing as killing somebody. You know, when she kills Sarfang, she kills Sarfang on. But her ground here, here's the counter to that, though, right? Like, and this is sort of going with your idea of the, the whole soul drought thing that's going on. If the Loa need that energy to come back and there's an anima drought coming through, if the Loa aren't nearly as powerful as they used to be, which they don't seem to be when you're going through the questing, they comment about it, too. Like, if you talk with them and you can't talk with them, or if you play a Zondalari troll and you go to the shrines, you can catch little glimpses of this. If they're weakened from what they or what they were before, it home ground might not have mattered for them then, depending on where her power is coming from. If she's making a deal with the the jailer and getting power from the maw, which is what we're I mean, one of the, the, the things that could possibly be happening there, and that's where all the souls are going, he has all or it has all of the anima, all the power, and it's giving portions of it out she might be more powerful than the Loa even at this point. Yeah, but that's really talking about a situation where she would have basically gotten ganked. Sure, that's why I'm saying Talanji would have had the best choice, or best chance, I think. But one of the things you just made me think of is that we don't really know how the Ardenweald and the Anima and the Rebirth Cycle connects to the Emerald Drain. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so I have... before we get too much... Oh, we know that it does. Guys, 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 before we get too much further here, I have a question. Do we think Buon Samdi's boss is... The jailer or the arbiter or somebody else entirely? I honestly was been thinking that it might be the arbiter. Because... I don't think it's the jailer because if it was the jailer, I, yeah. why? Unless unless Sylvanas it's the Winter Queen. took off his, took his place. What do you think, Rossi? It's the Winter Queen. Explain. Because, the whole, because what does he do? He allows the Loa to be reborn. The Winter Queen... Is the is the leader of Ardenweald, which is the place where anima is recycled into the world and rebirth is possible. Mm-hmm. Question on that then: Why would she be so interested in Vol'jin? Why wouldn't she? Because he's not a Loa at this point. There he's is beyond. there is a realm that we're going to get to go to in dungeon form, and that would be the other side. Exactly. Which is we don't know where it's located yet, or who's in charge of that one. Well, we know it, that the the other side is Bomsamdi. They said it's that it's Bomsamdi's realm, but obviously but that's why thinking... he's reporting to somebody else. So, but that's why I was kind of thinking that like the Arbiter might be a little angry if you know Vol'jin, this powerful spirit, is supposed to be you know brought in and put somewhere to be useful to this now war we know essentially that is going on in Shadowlands. I could see that being a little. Here's exactly why I think it's the Winter Queen. Because the Winter Queen's job is to deal with the cycle of life, death, and rebirth. Yeah. And nature and the Loa are part of that, just like the the ancients are part of that. And the Winter Queen is the leader of the Night Fae, so she's basically this big nature spirit that is involved in all of this. And we know that the trolls of the Night Elves are directly related. Mm Mm-hmm. Trolls and night elves and, you know, dark trolls and all that. They all come from the same basic stock. They're all trolls. Essentially, the trolls and elves are the same people. Just don't tell the Calderay that. (laughs) Yeah, but there's... With the soul drought, one of the things that they keep talking about is the Winter Queen now has to start deciding where the anima goes. Vol'jin, you know, if he's supposed to go there... You know, they call it, her race is called Fawn. That's one of the things they call the Winter Queen. I don't know what the heck that is specifically. I know it's part of the Night Fae. I know I want but, it to be a playable race, but yes. Anyway. Yeah. There are a Satter Lake race of Night Fae covenant in Ardenweald, according um, to Wowpedia. And it, we've got a picture of one of them. We know what they are, essentially. I, I was going to say, if you go back, and we talked about this before, the RPG, one of my favorite tabletop books still, uh, they were described as akin to dryads. Well, they say that dryads have the lower body of a fawn. That's one of the things they say. Right. But what's really interesting here is we've got some of them look like satyrs, and some of them look like dryads. Mm-hmm. Some of them have only they look like cleansed satyrs, really, yeah. and cl- you know, not weird-looking dryads. And it's just interesting to to imagine that they are the original form that got corrupted by you know the legion. And this kind of does make me wonder because we already have another connection to all this with the legion. In that it was Kill Jaden who supposedly used who, who provided the helm of domination. Yep. And right. 
and we know that those are somehow related to Torghast and the, the Arbiter. Well, and we can also we can also draw another Soul correlation. Binding. We can draw another correlation by just going directly to Argus and Antorus and the engine that's there that the Legion just basically took over and used for their own purposes to, you know, regurgitate demons that died. Plus, I mean, demons, we know that even before those engines were created, demons can return from death. Yeah. Yep. It was like, this was just kind of like a system that they decided to use to funnel it and make it fast. I don't know. Well, we with, with Legion, with Antorus, we learned from that Verithro... Verithros, uh, is what i Yes, thank you. Uh, the fight with him where he's completely wrecked. Uh, he's been tortured, but that's what the engine does, is it punishes them and forces them quicker, too, right? Uh, it's a retribution of... engine or something. Kind of. Well, so it's going to sound odd. I'm going to bring some 40K stuff into this, because this is one of those things that I think might have been inspired by it, but oh, it makes a whole lot it. of sense. Uh, in Warhammer 40K, there's a, a basically a Forge of Souls uh, is essentially what happens when demons take souls of other demons or living creatures By and the force way, them into weapons. I, I should re I should like I'm interjecting here to say the Forge of Souls was the thing that was Yes it in, was in it was uh, the Ice Dungeon Crown. and it was the dungeon and Ice Crown with uh James Brown. Yeah. Uh <laughs> but that's one of the things that is always interesting to me is because now we're talking about soul binding, we're talking about weapons and items and I've been going on this whole big thing with the helm of domination lately is what if that is what they've been doing and they learned how to forge souls into weapons, into items, how to pervert that soul binding. And that's what it was, right? Like, that's what those engines seemed to, to, to be to me, especially with, like, Antorus. It seemed maybe not necessarily a torture system, but a forge. It tried to make the demons more pliable to the will of the commanders of the Legion. They failed. They were punished. They were born, and in some cases we've seen they've come back stronger or with more abilities, not necessarily weaker, not necessarily uh, shells of their former selves, but they come back with more tricks. How many times have we faced the demon multiple times over the course of years where every time we face them, they've got something new they can do or something more, something bigger? Like, it just seems like that's what it was set up to do. Like, that forge was perverted to take the normal cycle of death and life that was there and turn it into this i'm going to kick it up to 11 these demons are going to are going to get more powerful they're going to be more pliable to my will but i'm going to go ahead and torture them while i'm doing it i that's a really elegant theory unfortunately you you got one thing wrong oh mary mothras has not gone through the engine he's being tortured by the the weird the sisters he's not well we killed him though he had to have gone through it at some point no he didn't because that's the thing they in order to punish him they gave him to the sisters instead of putting him through but the thing is is like if we killed him then he had to go back to the soul engine to come back in order to be punished yes no because we know demons can do it without that but Uh, i mean but the the thing is the thing but unrelated however while you were talking you made me think of this thing when you face varimothras when you go into the room one of the things he says, which we now know to be somewhat true, tell me, when she seized your throne of hides and bones, was your allegiance forced? No. I'd wager you surrendered it willingly or were convinced you'd. It matters not. You are blind to the darkness in your midst. He knows. Yeah, he does, which is weird. How does he know? Well, that's the funny part, right? And I wanted to talk about that a little bit, too, because we're sitting here under the impression, and what they have told us is that this has been going on since Edge of Night, and that whole deal was made. She struck that deal with the jailer and all of that stuff when she jumped off the frozen throne and saw what was beyond life. Did they actually confirm that, or is that just our theory? Uh, Yeah, no, they had an interview with somebody who said that, right? They had an interview with somebody who specifically said that. I don't think that that's accurate. I think they're pulling a Mogu. Because remember Rossi before Missa Pandaria? They said, oh no, the Mogu aren't Titan Forge or anything like that when we came up with that crazy theory. Only they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking Sylvanas has been dealing with this longer, much longer. And I feel like it has something to do with the moment that she regained her free will. And that's when things went weird it wasn't it wasn't her jumping off of the frozen throne it was her 
as a banshee, as one of the mindless scourge, all of a sudden regaining all of that memory and going, oh, there's more here. Because I feel like this is something that she has been looking into and investigating since the early days. I mean, we thought that she was, you know, dead set on vengeance, and she was to a degree. But then you go back to those quests, the ones with the bloodstones. Mm -hmm. She was doing something with that stuff. She was looking for something. I, I don't disagree that she's always been looking for something, but I, I don't know how deep it's gone. I feel like she was on the cusp of finding something, and maybe that got wrecked by the whole, we went in and we killed the traitors and blah, blah, yada, yada. Like, whatever that was that she was trying to do was right. unsuccessful. But I feel like that may have been the beginning of where she was looking for something because I feel like when you're a banshee and you, you've had your soul ripped from your body and it's just been made into this corporeal spirit by this entity trapped in this helm that holds the key to the Shadowlands and all this other I, stuff. See, that's the thing. Like, uh, well, we can go to the helm stuff in a, in a minute, but like, I, I like where that is at, but I'm also curious if the revelation moment of everything she had been searching for fell into place after edge of night i think it probably did but i feel like like this is something that yeah and i feel like this is something that maybe she's been thinking about since long before and that would explain why veramathras knows about it because maybe it was something that he knew that she was looking into or he was there for how long go for it rossi if you've got a different theory here well, it's not necessarily a different theory. I just want to take you along a different path here for a second. When you're in, when you played through WoW Classic, when you played through it when it was just WoW, um, one of the things you find out if you go to Undercity is that Sylvanas has got people she's experimenting. Oh yeah. yeah. Some of them are humans. Some of them are leopard gnomes. Yep. Why is she experimenting on leopard gnome? Half half dead anyway. No, no. Think about it. Why gnomes? Because they're Titan created. Just like humans. Yep. She doesn't have any elves in there. Nope. Now, I want to make this next one, and, and like, let's let's think about this real specifically. She also doesn't have any trolls in there. No. She doesn't have any orcs in there. She doesn't have any dwarves in there, even though dwarves are also titan created. So there what was, was specifically... one tauren, but she was trying. They were trying to quote unquote fix the tauren, and those guys yeah. were also there allies quote unquote at that point in time too yeah. so but but let's let's look at the the idea of why you'd have gnomes and humans humans obviously for one thing most forsaken are human secondly humans are like right there south shore gnomes that's an effort to get them she went out of her way to get them you got to go all the way to gnomergon for that yeah no not at that time well you'd have to go to gnomergon or for the leopard gnomes? south of she could have made them. They're leper no models, but we don't know for sure they're actually. She could have made them. Uh, like plague, plague is a thing, right? Like yeah. She could've, okay. She but she still would have. She still would have had to go significantly south. At least to Dunmoro, yeah. And every time I think about that, I think about what you just we were talking about with Varimathras and so forth, and I think about the fact that, and I've brought this up dozens of times, but I'll bring it up again. Balnazar knows necromancy oh yeah to the point where he raised the scarlet crusade as the risen and yeah he just made up made up a just whole new like, kind of undead snapped his fingers and made it happen and we've talked before what do what do varimathras and balnazar have in common they're dreadlords yep they were in fact two of the three dreadlords that were you know ruling in undercity you know when sylvanas decided she was going to take it yep and what do the Dreadlords do? What were the Dreadlords? What what was it about the Dreadlords that that we we first learned about them? Was that they were so malevolent and evil that they corrupted Sargeras? Yeah, not directly, but having to deal with them. And what did Sargeras have to do to stop them? He had to create a pr- prison plane to mm-hmm. hold their souls because they returned from death. And we've always thought that all demons return from death because we that that was what was said. Maybe it's the Nathrism. Maybe it's just the Nathrism. And if it's just the Nathrism, we know another thing about the Nathrism. 
that they They're... enjoy void energies. Yeah. Oh yeah, they love the void. They love the void. They love to bask in the void, despite the fact that they're demons. Now, we've got these beings that can apparently command fell and void, and they love, love to do both, and they love to corrupt things, and they can return from death without any kind of engine or power to do it. Do you think that they prefer to die as opposed to be redeemed? Like Almost uh... certainly, yes. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. The thing is, is like, maybe... Maybe Sargeras observed those guys, built them the prison planet, all that other stuff, right? Maybe it was freeing from the prison planet that made him go, okay, you guys, you know that thing that you can do where you don't die? I need you to make that for my army. Make it happen for my army. That's, I mean, that's something we have to consider because, you know, it would it would finally square the circle on that whole concept that the, the Legion mm -hmm. needed Antorus. What if now, it was always good? Sorry. No. Up till now, we've assumed that all demons have that ability. But maybe it's not all of them. Maybe it's just the Nathrezim, and yeah. and that maybe was the incorporated. Eridar. That was incorporated into the Burning Legion. Well, think about this too, right? What if it's what if it's like you're on the right path, and it's not necessarily maybe necromancy, but diversion of souls, right? Like they're hiding in plain sight all over the place like we have a laundry list of them there's a bunch that exist in the Nighthold. there's some that are still on mardoom there's ones that have been masquerading as humans and other creatures and other high prominent i mean heck you want to talk to you, you want to talk about balnazar he was leading he, yes. he took on the appearance of dathomar yeah so i mean we have a, a lot of a lot of uh examples of them hiding in plain sight what if it wasn't necessarily you know them bringing these things back to life but diverting the souls like directing where they went instead they're in key places all over azeroth they could easily do this or have them as generals of the army they could easily sit in the backfield and oh well that demon died well it's not going to go through this normal cycle i'm going to go ahead and pull it and push it over here it can go go do its processing and be reborn elsewhere you know i i I can kind of see that sort of being the thing with them. So maybe that was so their role in the army. Yeah, because bringing them back. Well, think or about directing this too. them. This is another thing to think about while you're thinking about that. Mm -hmm. What is fell? It's the explosion of light and void, right? That's where it was originally from. But where do they get it? Where does the legion get fell? You were talking before about soul engines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do they use? Soul, what does the Legion actually use a soul engine to do? Power. They use a soul engine to rebirth most things. Yes, they use it as power. They specifically annihilate a soul. Yep. To generate fell power. And if fell is created by light and void clashing, why is a soul capable of generating it? What is a soul in this game? Both light and void, apparently. And why does there an entire realm of death that exists as long... Apparently, the Shadowlands have existed as long as mortality has existed. And apparently, there's Because Shadowlands... there's a dichotomy between life and death and light and void. And obviously, the Emerald Dream is the life component of that cycle. And the Shadowlands is the death component of that cycle. And since the Shadowlands seems to transcend Azeroth, it seems to be everywhere. It seems to be you know, con touching all places. Does that mean the Emerald Dream does too? Yeah, because the, the thing is, is they, said that, they said that Freya created the Emerald Dream. What if Freya, Freya didn't actually create the Emerald Dream? She just opened access to it. That would make a lot of sense, especially like after Legion, when you finish out the Emerald Dream, who do you see there? You see yeah. she She's dead. She's not, she's not in Ardenwell. She's not in the Shadowlands. She's in the Emerald Dream. Well, think about this, then. We have now know that the Shadowlands are multiple realms. Yes. What if the Emerald Dream the is just a Emerald realm of the other? Yeah. yeah, and that the place that... The Emerald Dream that, that we have is just one shaped version. Yeah. That place that Freya was hiding out. It would make sense. another aspect of the Emerald Dream. Yeah, it would, it would make sense. Elunarius? Yeah, yep. maybe that was another section of the Emerald Dream. And it's named after Elun? Yep. Well, th th that goes back to the other thing, too, right? Like, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago uh, when we actually did the BlizzCon thing. Mm -hmm. 
where did Helia learn to make the planes from by studying whatever was exactly in the channel, yeah right? that's that's the other thing too is it's like where did she learn how to do all of the stuff that she was doing how did she learn how to make the elemental planes how did she learn and, like and then going back the other way what is the legion really really good at doing making portals to places they know how to rip tears in the fabric of reality to go to different planes of existence they or different planets or whatever you want to call them what if they're not planets what if they're like we do that one encounter in Antorus and we go to four or sorry, three different planes, one of fire, one of shadow, one of fell. Why are they there? Who made yeah. them? These are just portals. They have a portal master. So guys, guys, I, I, I'm not trying to distract you from this, but I do want to bring us back for a second because this will feed into that. Sure. If that place where we go to get Eonar is named Elunarus. Yeah. Huh? What if, it was a loon. What do you mean? What if a loon is a plane in the Emerald Dream? What if the reason she is the mother of Cenarius is because he is from there? Or what if she's the soul-bound entity of that plane? Or she is the plane. The plane is her. What if that's... When the Naru are tasked with helping cure Crusader Bridenbrad, yeah, um, they can't do it. I actually wanted to talk about that. I, I oh. want, that was the next place where I was going to go here because um, I had like an interesting conversation on Twitter. It was just a back and forth thing with uh, Steve Denuser about stuff and he mentioned Britain Brad and I posed the question. So if the Naru intervened and took Britain Brad away, does that mean that they are somehow part of the Shadowland thing? Like they were ushering a soul, obviously. Or did they bypass everything and take him to that plane of light that they are from? Or if they're on the scale of like what the Nothrazine can do and are just redirecting the soul. Did they just redirect him, bip, over to whatever is in the light territory? But if they are creatures of a plane of existence that is, you know, sort of existing already, that, that would explain also why things like Alun's Tear can affect them. And because it's why, still plane why... Alun created them. Mm -hmm. Alun didn't. And if Alun is a plane of existence instead of like a plane of existence that is an entity of some kind or another, then maybe that's where the Naru are from. It would also explain why they're susceptible to the light dark cycle because they are essentially natural beings that are subject to the, uh, for lack of a better term, the rules of existence, at least in that regard, right? If we are, if every soul is comprised of light and dark and let's say naru are scrubbed versions of that that would still have the capacity for that sort of shadow which would explain why they're able to go into that dark cycle what's a titan we I don't think, know i think that <laughs> we know something about it's titans. an arcane it's it's under the ar jurisdiction of the arcane but what is it it's a planet. technically a soul it's a soul it's a living planet it's a world soul the, the planet forms around the world soul yep, yep. It's a soul first, planet second. And then the thing, it gestates within it, and then something happens. But think about, they. we know that they enter into our universe. They're not from here. It. They come here. The, the last, the, the, the thing that was stated in Chronicle was that yeah, but one, one day, Amonthul woke up. Yeah, but go back to the A Thousand Years of War serial. Mm -hmm. True. You get, you get the process from the perspective of Argus, who's being tortured yeah. and broken. And Argus remembers entering our world as a fragment of pure power. Yeah. A being. And then he is encapsulated within the world of Argus. It would make sense because... Yeah. Think about, but, but think about just for a second here. What if they are what Elune is and they come here? Where Elune well, didn't come here. Yeah, I was going to go along the same route. So I'm going to go a different direction. Ooh. Oh, my brain just did a flippy dip. Um, uh, once I upon was going a time. Some old bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. Once upon a time, way back when, um, I wanted to know what exactly a Naru was. And I had several going theories on what a Naru, what, what exactly a Naru was. And I was like, is it, is it, just a, a creature of light or is it a titan that has 
mastered the light to such a degree that it has transcended corporeal form and become this other thing. And I never got an answer for that ever. Obviously, I didn't. But I want to flip that on its head. What if the Titans are Titan forged Naru? And now we have dead silence. Well, I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah. I feel like Naru are too small. Yeah. That's my only problem. Well, here's my thing is with the cosmology what? chart and the way that the cosmology chart, and I'm going to go back to that cosmology chart because, of course, I am. The way that it's laid out is you have light, void. Those are the big things, right? And the Naru are plunked sure. right in the light side of things, and the old gods are plunked right in the void side of things. The Titans weren't aware of the old gods. They had no idea that any of this stuff was going on. Sargeras was super taken aback when he learned about all of it. It's part of what drove him cuckoo, right? It's entirely possible that they weren't really aware of the Naru either. Like, that wasn't a thing that the Titans really dealt Mm -hmm. with or anything else. Because... They're on the smaller outsets of those planes. In in essence, they exist in the same place as the Emerald Dream and the Shadowlands. The Titans are just there on the arcane side of things. And then you've got the demons and the fell over on the other, like opposite them up on the other corner. So it's like they're playing off of each other and there's this cycle of balance mm. going on. I don't think that the Titans really what? grasped the weight of everything that the universe was. I don't think what that if, they did. So here, here's something I've been thinking about for a while. And, and this is with the cosmology thing. And I've been thinking about this ever since the old gods have, have been a thing. Sorry, what? Yeah, I didn't hear you, man. I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. Sorry. Your, your thing lit up. Uh, so the old gods we were told were formed when the void flung bits of itself essentially into the material plane, right? Like as they came into this area that encompassed all reality, they I'm pulling a Steve Denuser right now because I think you're going where I want you to go. So I'm making that cackling noise. I want to see if you yeah. get there, but I just wanted you to know. This is something I've been I've been asking about for a while. What if everything else that we've been interacting with are sort of manifestations of the same thing from their material planes or from their specific planes? Like Titans are what happens when the arcane order flings bits of itself into the universe as a whole. They are beings of pure arcane energy. They don't understand where they come from. They just quote unquote wake up. What if that's why? What if they're just flung into the universe and they exist? What if that's how wild gods happen? This overarching thing of life and nature that sort of intersects with spirit, but also hits the material plane. Bits of that get flung into the universe and that's where they're formed. What if that's where Naru came from? Maybe not necessarily denizens of this holy light plane where Alun exists. What if they're bits of that light flung into the universe and given form? like? Same thing with we have with disorder and fell. Like we've seen that happen with that. We've seen that happen with the undead. We've seen that happen where things sort of naturally occur or like go back to Galacron. Like how did the Titans know that that was a thing? How did that accidentally happen? What if that was because they found this thing that they didn't understand that got flung into the universe? This seems cool. Let's see what happens when I shove it in something living. Yoink. Like what if that's where all these things come from is not necessarily from some giant ordered like thing that was planned out from the beginning but an accident of these planes trying to exert themselves into reality because that's where everything touches is that where you were going rossi not quite but it's a good way to get there um okay you clarify further well i think the problem we have is that we're focusing on outside forces acting on like an inside reality like we look at these things and we 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 view them as separate places because that's what the cosmology chart does it says this is the light one. This is the you know fell. This is the disorder one. The fell one. This is you know death. This is you know shadow. It, it, but if you look at it, there's it's all part of the same. Each. It's an all well, yeah. part of the same thing. Yeah. The same cycle, yeah, but, and we exist but, at the center. But there's interplay between each of them as well. Like you have spirit where life and light connect, and you have water where order and life connect, and you have earth where order and shadow connect and you have decay where void and where shadow and and death connect. And you've got, you know, you've got air where death and fell connect and you've got fire where light and fell connect. They connect. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about it. One of the cosmology references was that, you know, at first there was light and then there became shadow because the light wasn't 
exactly perfectly distributed everywhere and it created eddies and whirls and those became the shadow and it's an interesting thought but what i really start thinking about is the, all these different interplays where you've got the emerald dream up there where it's basically getting hit by spirit and water and earth and fire are all hitting it to a degree and you get the shadowlands where fire and air and decay are all kind of hitting it to a degree and i'm thinking about we keep looking at it from the perspective of these forces reaching into our reality and not our reality reaching out to them. We're the clash. Yeah. And, and the void Lords are, are something we kind of know exists, but what are they that we don't really know? We know that the undead exists. There are beings forces of undeath. We know that the Shadowlands is a place where, where spirits go when they're dead. And that life, their their life can be used, be, you know, be channeled out of them, and filtered back into the world. If the Emerald Dream and the Shadowlands are exact inversions of each other, which they appear to be, then is the Emerald Dream where, like, it would almost have to be where the life goes back through, and it would also be where you go to lose your death. If I that think... makes absolutely no sense, but at the same time, if you yeah, think about no, it, I, it's you've where had the power of it, right? It's where life is. It's where life is, you know, at the same time, like the Shadowlands are not this big pocket of death behind them because those things are not necessarily realms. Like the the necromantic death thing on the cosmology chart, that's not actually a place. The two problems with the cosmology chart that we've always had are, are is one, it's a two-dimensional representation of a... Of an interdimensional, yeah. Of, of an interdimensional cosmos. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is we're being presented this information by somebody who may not or something that may not have fully understood it. But that's not even really the problem for for this particular reference. It's there's no actual place of death. There's the Shadowlands. That's where you go when you die. Right. That's the actual realm. The The larger cosmology stuff is forces being represented, not places. Sure. And that's where I think thinking about the void lords might be a mistake because the void lords might not be things that you can actually think about they're because not they're beings. not yes they're they're a force Forces. but th- then again the naru are just on the edge of the holy circle you have them right up there at the top and then you've got the void lord you've got the old gods right there on the bottom the old gods are in the same position as the naru mm-hmm. the old gods are basically a counterpart to the naru yeah. Now, does that the problem we have is that we look at this chart and we think, therefore, since since voids down there on the bottom and lights down there on the up there on the top, that they're exactly opposed to each other. They, they aren't exactly to. opposed to each yeah. other. It's just dynamic forces that are currently at opposition. Well, well, the thing is, you can always tilt this chart any way you wanted to. You could yeah. flip it around. You could and you could make another force be at the top. I think that's the. Because it is a, a two-dimensional representation of these things, we tend to give it a hierarchical structure. Yeah. And we assume things about it. And the thing is, yeah, like, it's the same thing as and when we were talking about how Elun created Cenarius, maybe Elun was a plane where Cenarius just kind of sprung into being or whatever. Like, that's another way to look at the term creation. And it goes back to way back when, before any of this world soul stuff came to, came to be, when I was looking at the Naru and how and and Azeroth and the Titans and all of that and I and those old texts the ones that we didn't know the authors of the ones that were basically like an incorrect thing said that the Titans created Azeroth and I I went through like this dizzying round of what ifs and the last what if I came to was what if when they said created Azeroth they didn't mean make a planet what if they pulled by created they mean it's a baby and I said that and then what like a couple of years later sure enough that's what it was the thing is is we're we're looking at all of this and sometimes we don't take into account the fact that we're maybe dealing with unreliable narrators mm-hmm. so like you know you have legends and stories about how um, Alun and Anshi are the two eyes of the Earth Mother. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe it's something else entirely. But that's how the Torin phrased it because they put it in a context that made sense to them. So it's like, well, what are these things? Alun does have a counterpart. There is an Anshi out there somewhere. If Alun is the moon, Anshi is the sun. And we've never like gone any further into Anshi other than, hey, 
Victorian can be paladins now. And we left it at that. But if a loon well, is a plane of existence, well, then maybe Anji is another one. Well, we, like I said, we've we've been looking at this. And one of the things that I noted was that mm-hmm. as each force intera- interacts with each other force, you get interactions. You get, like, for instance, spirit with yeah. the junction of life. And that's kind of where I was going with it, too. Yeah. You, and then you have fire at the interaction of light and fell. Fire isn't bad. The cosmos requires fire. Pure it's fell just a thing is, that's there. Yeah. yeah. Fire is destructive. So is fell. Fell is destructive. But it doesn't necessarily... We, we've In the past, I've even made the point that since fell is, the destru- is created through the destruction of souls, that it, it can be seen as pretty evil and using it as pretty evil. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. The, the, the power of, the, of fell... The reason it seems it's always shown as corruptive is because people tend to grab hold of it and use it for destructive means. But any destructive force can be channeled. Water can be just as destructive as as fell. Yeah. Fire can be just as destructive. Earth can be just as destructive. Wind yeah. can be just as destructive. Well, that's the thing. When the one of the things that keeps coming to mind here is that as we get out on the cosmology cart you chart, you start going into more and more abstract concepts. You go from fire to fell mm-hmm. yeah just, you just get it's just destructive power you go from spirit to life and these things they're like inter they're combinations and interplays of things the shadowlands is a very good example of this where it's a place of death but there's light in it you know like for instance bastion mm-hmm. it's a realm of pure light where thing angelic beings await you it, it's, it's a got, realm of death, but there's life within it because those yeah. things that are in there are kind of ushering people towards that. And the Emerald Dream, for all that it is a beautiful place of life and nature and hope, is also a place of savage power where things will destroy you. Mm-hmm. And that's before you know the old gods got their their talents into it. There, you know, you go and before to the, the Emerald. Dream. Yeah, before the Emerald Nightmare, before any of that. You you went like there was a time when you went to the Emerald Dream and a gigantic monster unlike anything you'd ever seen would eat you. You go to the realm of Earth that Helia supposedly created. What if Helia created the elemental planes around Azeroth, but she didn't create those elements? Correct. And it's yeah. quite possible she didn't create the plane so much. She as just she created... opened a door. Or no, or she created su- yeah subplanes. Okay. Like the, yep. the, she basically created. And I think that's the case with the Emerald Dream that we have. I think it's a shaped place that Freya shaped, but it's not the whole Emerald Dream. It's just a part of it. Much like where you look at the Shadowlands and we've got, you know, we've got Bastion and we've got Ardenweald and we've got the Maw. And I can't remember the names of all the places. I know there's like two more at least, but I can't remember them off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But those places exist. And what if those places exist? Like, what is the Arbiter? And what that's the thing. Like, what the are, what yes. are things we don't know? That's to me the fascinating thing. What if there are many more beings on the scale of Titan? Yep. But they're not the Titans as we understand them because they're like Titans of Fell or Titans of Decay or Titans of, you know, they can be Titans of these forces. It, it there almost can be reminds... a Death Titan. I want to interject again and go back to the Nathrazim if we can go back there sure I want to talk about Maldraxxus I want to talk about Maldraxxus yep that's one of the planes in the Shadowlands Mm -hmm. yeah the description for it says within war-torn Maldraxxus might of all kinds makes right here in the birthplace of necromantic magic those who master the powers of death turn legions of ambitious souls into relentless undead armies what does Maldraxxus sound like? Yeah, it sounds like Max. It sounds like a uh, good old Nathrazim type naming scheme. I was going to say, what if the Nathrazim aren't creatures of this plane at all? They were born in the Shadowlands and learned how to cross over. Or, like, and I, and I, I hate to go back to it because I, I just, I, I love the idea. What if that's what happens when this portion of the Shadowlands like reach, reaches out or is pulled into where everything else touches? Mm-hmm. Because that—that's the thing that we're going back to the cosmology thing. Like in my head, I don't see a two D plane. I see that would explain that would explain why the Nathrazim of all of the demons can come back because they're not necessarily demons at all. They're creatures from the Shadowlands. Yeah, and if they—that's where they go when they die. They just then come they back. come back again. Yeah, 
Also, it, one thing we'll point out before we let Joe say what he's trying to say. I'm no, sorry. No, it's okay. The, the yeah. Necrolords look like liches. Yep, they yeah. sure do. Who created the lich magic that we know of? <laughs> Legion. Yeah, exactly. Where did they learn about it from? From the Nathrazim. It all kind of ties back, and I'm wondering and, and... if that's what we're going to find out when we hit up Maldraxxus. By the way, the other place is called Revendreth. Um, yes. But, yeah. No, no, it's, isn't it Revenge Egg? Revenge Egg, yeah. Sure. sure. <laughs> but I was going to say... There you, like... go, there you go, Taryn. That one was for you. Oh, okay. But that's that's sort of like the thing I've been thinking about, too, because that, that would be why or how they knew to make the Helm of Domination, because it's soul-binding. It's tying an entity's power to an item or person or entity, in this case, Nerzul, the original time. What if Kil'jaeden didn't just find this helm somewhere? What if the Nathrazim was... said, hey, exactly. here, we got this thing that's for you. That's what I've been saying. Hey, look, you're looking for this thing, right? Here's the plan. We have this thing where we can teach you how to take all this power from this guy over here... Because we don't like him. He's, he's, he's kind of like, you know, sh- shady. We don't like him. Uh, but you can then torture Nerzul and shove him in there with it and then make him do what you want. Use all this power to your will. How's that sound? Like, because that's ever since they mentioned soul binding, that's just what I've been thinking about is that the Helm of Domination seems perfect for that, which is why when it breaks, all of a sudden things shatter. Because it's this that would also kind of explain why the Nathrazim were aware of the void and interested in the void too. Mm-hmm. Because what if you could grab that and soulbind that somehow? If we, I swear, this is probably going to be something that we figure out when we're questing out there. Oh yeah, is that this is where the Nathrazim originated? They aren't even. They aren't a demon. They aren't. Maybe this is where all of the demons initially originated because they had to come from somewhere. Well, I, I'm willing to believe that at least some demons are creatures of fell, that they actually come sure. from the fell. Oh, yeah. But, well, I mean, but there is the that. have always been pretty weird. But also, let me put this one out there before we, we stop, because we are running out of time. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things about Revendreth is that it is a place where you're, you're supposed to be sent there to be purified. And the to get your there. retribution, yeah. No, not to get your retribution. Or no, not, not to, your redemption. Get... Redemption. Yeah. I'm thinking of the wrong word. Yeah, you're supposed to go there and have the things that are holding you back, the prideful or some other flaw blocking you from a from <clears> the <throat> realms. And you you're supposed to go there and it's quote unquote the duty of the vampiric venthyr to prepare the souls. Now, the vampiric venthyr look an awful lot like Blood Queen Lanathel and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, there's a certain amount of that that's got to get explained. Did did the Lich King pull one of them through and use and bind it to an elf? Is that how we Or did the Lich King know know about it because of what it was tied to? Yeah, but the, we don't know. This is stuff that hasn't established it. But what gets me is, again, we have a thing where souls aren't just... They're sent here to be redeemed so they can go back. The Shadowlands is not a prison. At least it's not intended to be a prison. Not all of You're it. not supposed to stay there. The Even the mall only exists because there are some souls you just can't fix. And that's interesting, too. Yeah. What does that mean? There are some people who are just so bad that they're almost Gul'dan. Almost. No, you're never going to get anybody worse than Gul'dan. I'm sorry. No. This is a dude who two different versions of him betrayed their entire species, you know, just for power. I mean, come mm-hmm. on. Gul'dan is right up there. He's. Oh, he's, yeah. I'm know. kind of hoping that we run into both versions of Gul'dan in the Maw and they're just bickering with each other. I just that hope is, they're... That's their prison. Refuse... That's their eternal hell. They're, they're locked <laughs> in a cell together. To and they're, no, and they're no, trying to... No, 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 no. Not they're locked trying... in a cell. Guys, guys, guys. Two, two-headed ogre. Yep. Oh my Hold god. On. Two-headed yep. ogre or like I said, they're locked in a cell together and they have to like solve a Sudoku puzzle or something to get out. Like they have to work together to get out and neither one of them is willing to do so. I know you're going to betray me. Of course I'm going to betray you. But I'll betray you after. No. That one is a number me. seven. No, it's not a seven. You're lying to me. What do you want? Oh, no. Okay. All right. As much as I would love to continue this conversation, and honestly, we could probably continue this for another several hours, we should probably wrap it up here. Um, Let's just go ahead and do that, unless you guys have anything final to say on this particular aspect that we were just talking about. I think we're onto something with the Nathrazim. I think Mm -hmm. we are, too. Um, 
And I have a feeling that Maldraxxus is going to be a lot more important than maybe people have realized. Anyway. If you happen to be driving in a car with Steve Denuser at some point while he's listening to this, please let us know what his response was. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> probably just going to be mad cackling and rubbing his hands together, something along those lines. But anyway, Blizzard Watch, made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on a podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, the listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Uh, it's worth checking out right now because they have added some new books. I believe that the first book in the War of the Ancients trilogy is now available as an audiobook on Audible, um, which is one that's worth checking out, honestly. All of the books there are worth checking out. Um, you can download any of Blizzard's titles. There's a ton there. Or you can download one of the thousands and thousands of others that they have by signing up at blizzardwatch.com audible. And every sign-up helps support the show and everything that we do. Final thoughts, you guys. Um, I, have, I have something to present to you. And I want your reaction to it because I had this back somewhere in the middle of the show and I was on mute. So you didn't hear my, oh, okay. Um, when I was talking about everything kind of like being backwards and whatnot and, and how like maybe, maybe the Titans are like the, the way that the Titans and the Naro work together, that kind of thing. Um, one of the things that we had talked about was the fact that all of these planes like kind of cross each other and interplay with each other. And Rossi, you were talking about how it's really, it's like a two dimensional presentation of something that's actually like a three dimensional space as far as the cosmology chart goes. Well, so are we the culmination of all of these things or are we essentially the twisting nether to all of these other realms? Rossi, what do you think? I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Do you mean us? Do you mean the the realm are we're we in? is is our existence, our reality, is our center of that cosmology chart? Is it there because it was a natural course of existence, or were we spawned because there was a clash between all of these planes of existence, and within that clash, we were birthed? When I think about it, I tend to think about it as a tesseract. Oh boy! Which means that, that, it's, that it's more than three dimensions. It may yes. be four. It may be five. Mm. Yes. And when I think about that, the first thing that comes to mind is that there's the idea in in Kabbalism that you start out with like a single point, the the limitless light, that and then you add another everything. point, and then you add a point that's halfway in between those points, and then you add a ha- point well, that's halfway in. Yeah. Anyway, the, the way brought set. Yes. Yeah. The way it's expressed in Kabbalism is that there's a contraction, simsum. And the contraction is when it pulls back from I am everything and everything is just this one thing too, but there can be other things. And I'm not all those things because I can't be all those things, but I have to be all those things. And I'm, I'm doing a bad job of expressing it. But the basic idea is that everything is, but everything isn't the same thing. You, and until you can actually be that, you have to be the contradiction. You have to be the contraction. That's what I think when I think about this is that all these forces – make up the, the much more sophisticated reality that we now have that isn't the one that we started with. The one we started with in the wow cosmology was light and then light became, it had eddies and those eddies became shadow and the interplay between light and shadow created everything else. Whether or not it actually created everything else, everything else creates it. You don't have the, the, the cosmology we have, the universe we're living in is the result of all these different forces and they're all an interplay in a way the 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 idea the void has that you know everything is possible is true but so is the order pot idea the idea that one thing is possible because you can only know what's possible from one perspective one vantage point you can't actually have all vantage points that's what creates the universe all those different vantage points that you're never going to have and it's that that's what the universe is the universe is essentially all these forces having a a big dance they're they're moving through and touching and in being touched by and it's that interplay that is our universe it is the one that the, the warcraft characters live in it's a it web is, it's not it's a it's web a giant it's a spider web and we're yeah. at the center of it all or we're part of it is another yeah. way to look at it it's all interconnected 
you are the universe and the universe is itself a thing. Joe, now that Ross has right. said something truly profound here, what do you got to you, say? You ready for this? So years and years and years ago, I was really into the whole multiverse theory, quantum entanglement stuff that, you know, nerds tended to get into, uh, mostly due to D&D and the fact that Planescape exists. Um, there's always this idea that a Tesseract is essentially a tunnel through a multidimensional intersection, essentially. It allows all these things to touch. And when Rossi is talking about Tesseract and not sort of having those multiple planes of existence, I'm on that same path, but at a different side of it, where I think Azeroth, to me, the way that it's presented, is sort of, it is the center point of that Tesseract. It is the bar at the end of the universe. It is this point where all of these cosmic forces that are moving constantly and touching and clashing sort of filter down to at some point. Because even in a multi a multi-dimensional multiverse theory, there's always center points that sort of touch everything. There's always a path. Uh, you want to go the sliders route, there's ways to open those tunnels. But to me, it makes sense because, well, we have the bronze dragon flight and we're told that they're maintained the, the time ways, but what if it's not just time ways? What if it's keeping that tesseract, that that path between these dimensions in one fixed place? We saw what happens when it deviates. We got Warlords of Draenor. That's not here, quote unquote, but it could be. It's just another piece of it. All these planes of existence, the Shadowlands, all the, these these powers that exist touch, they, they, but they can't necessarily interact with each other all the time, but they can here. You can have necromancers and fire mages and people that wield the light and people that wield the pure shadow. You can have all of these things in the same place. They can all touch. They can all interact. All of these things are equally reachable from here. I think Azeroth, to me, is the center point of that Tesseract. It's the center point of that tunnel. And that's why we can do everything here. Like Rossi said, the void's right. All things are possible. Why are all things possible? Because everything comes back to here. And I'm just going to go with something completely different because I like similes and metaphors. It's like all of these different forces of existence are instruments they've been tuning up and Azeroth is that one perfect chord. Anyway, that's going to wrap us up. So, uh, hey guys, sorry we got a little existential at the end there, but um, thank you as always for listening and uh, we will see you again next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.